Um, so I had to check before. One of my worst fears is uh, having this microphone on and having it accidentally turned on while worship is happening. Uh, but then I heard a story today that became my new worst fear, and that was uh, there was this pastor who at the soundboard, and just what Johnny tries to get us to do, I just don't trust people because of this, to have the mic pack unmuted and just it's controlled at the soundboard. Uh, but what happened is the soundboard guy, he muted it in the sanctuary, but he just recorded everything the pastor was singing, and he made like this hip-hop mix, like this 1990s hip-hop mix with this pastor singing these off-tune worship songs. And so I'm terrified that's going to happen now. That's my worst fear. Um, so... I know. Well, now you can't do it. Now it's not original. And I muted it. I'm like, I've taken batteries out of this thing. Um, (laughs) So happy Valentine's Day to those who are here. Uh, I have a Valentine's Day present for you guys. And that is that this is the last GCF with this excuse of a beard. Um, So we're about to throw in the towel. I have to go down to San Diego next week to work on our project stuff. And I want to have the semblance of being professional. And so uh, I'll kill it by then. Uh, So my wife is happy about that as well. Um, so it's interesting. There's a word that I bet all of you guys use, uh, and we use it literally, and it doesn't actually literally mean what we think it means. And that word is literally. Uh, how many times have you caught yourself saying like, that was literally the best dinner I've ever had as you're paying for like a $3 food zoo meal? Or I heard this the other day, someone was giving this commentary on politics, and they said the, the uh, pundit was literally decimated by his opponent. Like, literally, s- there's a beam of energy that hit that physical man and blasted him into hundredths of what he once was. That's what it means to be, like, decimated by something. But we use it literally all the time, right? And there's another instance where words can be misleading. And that was last March, I was uh, flying to Portland for our annual conference and uh, it was my job to reserve the rental car. And so there's a problem with it and I called the day before uh, and I was like, hey, I just wanna confirm my car rental um, at Portland. So I'm talking to Hertz or Dollar or whoever it is. And I can't hear anything this person's saying. Like, it's like she was on the phone like this. Like, oh, I can, I can yeah, uh-huh. And that's what I heard is like, she was in the other room talking to me on speakerphone is what it sounded like. So all I heard was like, um, like Portland and then like the main airport. And I was like, yeah, the PDX, the main airport in Portland. And so I get to Portland and I land there and uh, I get to the desk. And I'm like, hey, we have a reservation. And he's like, um, I don't see it here. And so I pull up my confirmation number because I'm like, I have a confirmation number. Uh, and, and he's like, you reserved this in Portland, Maine. And I was like, that's unfortunate. Because <laughs> I literally said, all I heard was like her say this garbled thing. Like, I thought she was asking me which Portland airport. I was like, the, the main one. Like, but then I said PDX, like the code for the Portland airport. And so I get there. There's Portland. I wanted a car in Portland. And I get to Portland. And I realize that that Portland is not at all the Portland that I had the car waiting at. And what this shows, both with the word literally and with this duality of Portland, which is stupid, a country should only have one name for every town, um, is this, is that when we have a lack of definition, like with the word literally, it leads to confusion. No one actually knows what literally, no one literally knows what literally means anymore. But then also, a lack of clarity, like with Portland, it leads to disappointment of you getting somewhere, of having something, and realizing that it's not at all what you expected to be there. Or what you expected to be there isn't there at all. 
And I think we have this similar problem with love. We don't know what love is. And I just want to get it out right now, okay? As we're talking about love, so everyone say it with me like, I just want to know what love is. We're going to say that a lot, okay? And then, what is love? Babe, so those jokes exist in this sermon, so I just want to get it out there. It's in our heads. We know it's there. Don't let it be a distraction to us as we plow forward. Uh, but the, the issue is, and why there's all these songs about it, and why you have uh, two newspapers here this week on it, is because the question is, can we know what love is? There, is there an object, uh, Garrett, stop. Is there an objective portrait of what love is amidst our subjective experience of it? Everyone has an experience of love, but is there something objective that we can look at and say, this is love. This is what it is. This is what it is not. This is what it does. This is what it does not. And I'm talking tonight specifically, there's a a vast array of what love is. There's like love with uh, a father and a son and uh, siblings and and friends and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. Tonight, we're specifically talking about love in a romantic sense between a man and a woman. And actually, uh, I'm going to brag on Rachel. Singleness is the assumption for everything here. Before we talk about what we look like dating or married, we need to understand what it means to be single in Christ. And so Rachel wrote a blog. It's out. I think GCF retweeted it. It's also on the Sovereign Hope Facebook and Twitter page. Go read it. Um, it's beautiful. This discipline, we talk about having spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, spiritual disciplines of prayer. Um, marriage is Marriage is based off of Christ in the church. It was the shadow of which Christ's redeeming love for his people was the son. This means that if you were willing to let someone love you who does not know the love of Jesus, they will not be able to love you fully. At least according to God's definition. That's the premise here. How does God define love? You can say, well, well, that's not how I define love. We have a problem with how we define love. The love issue of the independent is about consent. Because our love is dangerous. You see that? The love issue of the magazine talks about how we can love people without harming them. We need a better definition of love. And Jesus gives us that. We may encounter things It may look like love, it might smell like love, it might time even feel like love. But if we realize that all those experiences, what they're actually doing is they're revealing what lays behind what's missing, the gospel. Those are all things, that the things we experience which are good, they can ultimately only be found in the gospel. We're dancing in the shadow, refusing to look and see the wonderful thing that casts the shadow. Imagine it this way. Imagine if uh, you had a daughter and daughter had a boyfriend and boyfriend was coming to ask you um, if he could marry your daughter. Um, And uh, he comes and he says, I just want you to know something. I'm going to work really hard to take care of your daughter. Like We're off to a good start, right? He says, but I am under the opinion um, that money is really just a construct of the rich. So because of that, I'm not really going to work a job. Um, I don't know if I'm even going to do a job. But I don't, I, you know, I, even, if, even if you're going to give me a paycheck, like, I don't want it. That's just greedy. We'll, we'll figure out something else. How many would be like, oh, that sounds super? No, we'd say, uh, 
that's not going to work. You don't have what it takes to support my daughter. And yet, how many of us lack that discernment when it comes to the commodity of our love? And we look to someone who doesn't have that commodity, who doesn't have that wealth of God's love, and we say, sure. Knowing full well that there's going to be a limit, even if that limit is death, that that love will end, that that love will never sustain. The only reason we would willingly choose to be loved with the shadow of love is if we don't really believe that God's love is the real love. That's the only reason. Why would we settle for something less if we had the option of something more? It would be us thinking that the greatest source of salvation is not in God's love, but that there's something better. And to have those thoughts is to actually be a functional unbeliever. Now, I just want to insert something here. I, I don't know where all of you are at relationally. I don't know if any of you are dating non-believers, but what I don't want is you guys to just storm out here and like cut ties with everyone who's not a believer and go up to your boyfriend or girlfriend and be like, Tyler says we can't date late. Peace. Uh, there's, there's care. There's great care that's needed for this. There's a great proclamation of the gospel to yourself. There's a great proclamation of the gospel to this. And you know, it's, it's going to be hard. But that's because sin makes things messy. That's why sin sucks. But because sin is hard, is no excuse to not pursue what is right. Because there's a promise of a greater reward inside of that. The second implication is this, and this one will go a little faster because it's built off of it. So that's, uh, why would we want to be loved by someone who does not know the gospel? This is, why would we want to love someone not with the gospel? So these are the two things you have to affirm, is to not love someone with the gospel is to never ultimately love them. If you're loving someone and you are not loving them with the gospel, if you believe what we just read, you have to come to grips that you will never ultimately love them. Or, this is the other option, is to not love someone with the gospel, is to believe that you're better at love than God. That you have something greater to offer that individual than God himself does. Because we've lost the definition of love, the result is we've also lost the application of love. We take our cues for love and sexuality and intimacy from culture and not from the gospel, but look at what is said in John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his lives for his friends. This is Jesus talking here. Jesus isn't saying that like, oh look, Turns out I'm going to die for you guys. Jesus is saying this, pointing to himself. Greater love. Why would you want lesser love? If that's the option, why would you take it? But he says, greater love has none other than this, that one would lay down his life for his friend. 1 John 4.9 says this, in this, is lo- in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Am I reading the right verse here? 1 John 4.19, let's start there. We love because he first loved us. Okay, look at that and let's do a math equation. We love, no, go back <laughs> or forward. I don't know where you went. First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. If you take away first loved us, you lose love. 
Do you understand the simple weightiness of that truth? That if there is no God loving his church, there is not even the shadow of love. But because God has chosen to love us, we see shadows. And this is the flip side of what we just looked at. This is the joy. This is the benefit. This is the mercy of loving people through the gospel. And why? We want people who date well in this group. We want you to grow up and to meet someone and to pursue them and to love them with and through the gospel for the glory of God in all of those places. But I want to ask you, how many of you have daydreamed about the ways in which you're going to help your boyfriend or spouse prepare for eternity? Like, dang, that guy's going to devotion so good. How many of you, (laughs) when was the last time you thought about marriage? You said, I cannot wait to be in a relationship where we together can reflect the glory of God as Christ and his church. But that's the greater joy. That's the greater love. Let me give you an example of this in my own life. The first time I looked at pornography in marriage, I was devastated. I went to bed with my wife later that night, and I couldn't sleep. And so here's my beautiful, lovely wife sleeping in bed, and I, at one in the morning, I, like, <laughs> I wake her up. I wake her up, and I confess to her what I had done. And I'm like, I, can you forgive me? And she forgave me. Sleepy, groggily, she forgave me. That would have been a wonderful love, even on a cultural level. Like, that's the best we could do is to forgive, right? But my wife wasn't abiding by the cultural view of love. What she went on to do is she saw my overwhelming guilt and shame, and she began to preach to me the righteousness of Christ. That no matter how guilty I felt, Christ became guilty for me on the cross. And that when God looks at me, he doesn't see Tyler, the pornographer, who's looking at, at, at other women while laying in bed with his wife. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And I have never been more loved by my wife than in that moment. But that's loving with the gospel. That's fighting, not for my temporal relief, but for my eternal joy. You have the ability not just to love someone well, but to love someone eternally. You see, even if you're dating a believer, if you choose to not lay down your life in support of their eternity and God's glory, what you're choosing to withhold from them is the source of love, which is God himself. You are denying them greater joy in their salvation. If we choose to neglect the gospel towards those whom we love, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. We are saying that I can meet this need, that I can be your God, that I can solve your sin issue, that I can make you happy, that I can satisfy you. You're assuming that your definition of love is the greatest power and the most winsome effect in the whole world. But when we see the gospel 
as the source, substance, and definition of love, we can easily cast aside all the knockoff brands of love and we could grab the hand of the one we love and joyfully, intimately, and triumphantly run into the sunset of God's divine and eternally soul-satisfying love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a better ending than any love story ever written. But here's the beauty. As we think of that and we dream of that and we desire that, that's not the end. Jesus says in Mark that in heaven, no one is given or taken in marriage. And that's because in heaven, the most ultimate shadow we have on earth, marriage, it gives way to the substance of God's glory. We no longer need the shape because we have the substance. The church is united with Jesus and his glory will satisfy us wholly, intimately, like it was meant to do. You see, glory is the end of love and love is the fruit of glory. And so we use love to see God's glory. As attractive as human romance is, even romance bathed in the glory of God, we must always realize that it's the glory of God which is of utmost importance. And whether you are now single, dating, married, if you're a believer, you're part of God's church. God's church is his bride. So even in the immediate, right now, you get to participate in pursuing the glory of God and this beautiful relationship of your spouse in Jesus Christ. This is not lesser, nor is it secondary. This joy and the satisfaction that we all want, we see, we love that sunset, that climactic union, is not just reserved for those who are married, but it's for those who are single and those who are married. It is for all who are joined to Christ to rejoice in the glory of Christ in all of our life because everything gives way to glory. And love is our experience of it. All of life finds its end in the glory of God. So seek it in all things. Seek it in your singleness. Seek it in your dating life. Seek it in your engagement. Seek it in your marriage. Seek it in your studies. Think of it in all things because Jesus has saved us by his love from all things. Let's pray. Lord, we need help uh, turning our words and turning our worlds upside down. Lord, there's probably uh, nothing that we hear more of on a weekly basis than love. It's on the radio, it's in our books, it's on TV, it's in our podcasts, it's in our heart, it's before our eyes. So Lord, I ask you that your love, the gospel of Jesus, which existed before us, saved us when we were broken, and will satisfy us for all eternity, that that becomes the main narrative in our life. That that shapes the culture of dating at Grizzly Christian Fellowship so that God might be glorified in our relationships and true love points those to the glory of God who is the greatest lover because he is the only Savior. Yeah, Lord, we ask for the joy of dating and marrying well to the glory of God. 
We ask for the joy of singleness, of serving, because we are tied already to the intimate glory of God as part of his church. And Lord, we pray for those who might be facing hard implications from this text. That you would mercifully, kindly, and gently reaffirm the truths of Scripture in their hearts so that they might choose the greater prize. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.